Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. My name is Rob Samuelson. I'm an elder at Generations Church, and I'm here with my good friend and the lead pastor at Generations, Jeff Luddington, who's just making a bunch of noise over in his corner of the studio. How you doing, Jeff? I know, right? Like I'm like, okay, quiet. Here we go. And then, <laughs> sorry, guys. So, hi. Good morning. How are you? Um, I'm good. We're right at the end of a school year, and, and there's no students on campus, which kind of makes it a little bit quiet and, and boring around here, but I'm glad you're here. I know. Don't tell the boss, but I'm in jeans and a t-shirt. It's, oh. it's so unschool-like. <laughs> Yep, it's the way to go though. It's it's summer. Summer is officially here for us. <laughs> so um, yeah, if you've been if you've been following along, hopefully you have. Um, we are in a series called Questions from the Classroom. Jeff and I both teach at a high school. We teach Bible classes, and we've been taking questions from students and uh, talking about them on our podcast. And last time we did part one of a two part episode because a student asked a question that we just couldn't get all the information in in one episode. The question was. Will we ever understand the book of Revelation? And if we think we've got it, how do we know we're right? Hmm. So we talked about that was from our, our friend and, and our, our biggest fan, Elijah Daigle, who loved to hear his name on a podcast. <laughs> so I'll say it one more time. Elijah Shout out to Daigle. Elijah Daigle. There you go. Um, but this is part two. Last time we talked kind of a, we talked about some general topics. We talked about interpreting a book like this one. We talked about the, what's the main focus of the book. What does John tell us in the book that helps us to understand it? Um, Today we're going to get a little bit more into some details and even maybe some topics that are not really agreed upon, even mm-hmm. controversial sometimes. Uh, so we're going to look at what does Revelation itself say about the topics of the Great Tribulation, the Rapture, and the Millennium. And I think my opening question to you would be, do most Christians even know these terms? Do they hear these terms in church or is it kind of a you know a localized thing where just certain churches talk about it? Yeah, that's a great question. And so... Um, I remember uh, almost 20 years ago before seminary, I mentioned to a pastor, a friend of mine, he was a a mentor. I said, hey, I'm going to go to school, blah, blah, blah. And he said something at the time I didn't understand. He said that, uh, remember, that's one view, right? And uh, what what I learned was there are many views, right? And that that each whether it be a church or a school or denomination or a group of churches, whatever it might be, a theological position, there are different positions. And I was young and theologically naive. Uh, I thought that everybody thought primarily like I did. Uh, and so as it related to end times, uh, I didn't realize there were different positions. And so we live in Southern California. We teach in Southern California pastor and lead a church together in Southern California. So we're here. Now, Southern California is Calvary Chapel country, right? It is, you can't, you know, throw a rock and not hit a mega church named Calvary Chapel around here. And so locally, there is a a very common set of beliefs. But both theologically and historically, there are different positions. And, And so the questions you're asking today are all housed in a belief system called premillennial, pre-tribulational eschatology. And it means before the millennium, before the tribulation, there are events. And that, that particular event that kicks it off is the rapture. Now, that is not the majority opinion of the church. Uh, Roman Catholic, Orthodox, or Protestant 
the majority opinion is not that. But the majority opinion maybe in Southern California feels like that. But uh, post-millennial is another view, and it has the view that the church era is going to grow and consume the world until things get so much better, it becomes this golden millennial age, right? But not hanging on a literal thousand years necessarily. Amillennial, where I land, is that the, word, the millennium or that word is not supposed to be interpreted as a literal thousand year reign of Christ, but rather it's the church era and that it, it's this era that goes until the second coming of Christ. Now, if you've ever read the Left Behind series, that, that is the common Calvary Chapel premillennial pre-tribulational view. And they do believe in a great tribulation, a rapture, and a millennium as specific detailed events. And so today, I want to remind us two general rules of prophecy, right? One is we take the clear things and, in Scripture, clear things in Scripture, and we allow them to help us shape and understand the unclear things. That's a great rule of interpretation. The second one is we talk about especially things like tribulation, things like that. Um, consider Christians that are being martyred today or throughout church history. Consider the author who was, uh, you know, went through great hardship. You know, Paul who was beheaded, you know, Matthew, etc. All the people that knew Jesus, lived with Jesus, talked with Jesus, had meals with Jesus, they all died brutal deaths. So um, consider Christians that are being martyred today in other parts of the world. How would they read Revelation? And if they would come up with an entirely different meaning, we can't both be right. And so it can't be more than one true thing. It can have lots of application. There's got to be a truth we're pursuing, and that's going to be my goal, using Revelation today to find some truth in it that can be true for everybody, right? No relevant truth. Great. And just a, a quick disclaimer, you were not advocating throwing rocks at churches, correct? Well, I probably shouldn't publicly know. That's probably a good idea. Good call. All right, so just a quick um, recap of last time. We talked about the purpose of Revelation, and, and you pointed out a thesis statement. The very beginning of the book of Revelation, uh, John writes, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So it's a revealing of Jesus uh, ascended, resurrected. We talked about the throne yeah. quite a bit, and he's made it known to us. So this, we should see Jesus throughout this book. Um, so where in what we're talking about today, where do we see Jesus? Yeah, and so since we're going to, def I'm, you know, I, I, we together, but specifically me, I'm, gonna, I'm going to push back on that I don't believe in a great tribulation or a rapture, or that the millennium is a literal thousand years, though I'm going to kind of show what those positions believe and, and then kind of respond. And so I can't show Jesus in something I don't believe in, but what I would say then is, what does Revelation put forward to us? So what does Revelation say about Jesus in tribulation, right? Or what would a rapture say about Jesus or a lack of rapture say about Jesus? Or even more importantly at that point, what about me who lives for Jesus now what does this mean? So how do we see Jesus in these events or in these lack of events? And what, if they're not what Jesus is trying to say, then not only what is he trying to say, but what is he trying to teach us? And so rather than, I can't say where is Jesus in the rapture, though I'll, I'll put forward what people believe, and then what I believe is no rapture. So what does that mean about Jesus and about us who follow Jesus, if that is true, if that is not true? Okay, so let's start off with... Uh, the concept of tribulation, 
and we'll look at a couple of passages in Revelation. Uh, first, uh, Revelation 1.9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. So it sounds like he's in the midst of right. whatever this tribulation is. Uh, and then in Revelation 7, 13, and 14, then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white, in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So we, we hear about kind of a general tribulation and then a great tribulation. Are these two different events or is this the same thing? It's a good question. Yeah. So uh, again, remember what I said, consider Christians being martyred today in parts of the world. Consider the author who John had been boiled in oil. Uh, he'd been beaten and arrested countless times. He had been boiled in oil. And when that didn't, that was supposed to kill everybody. And that would, I would assume, kill everybody. But miraculously, he survived it, which freaked out the people who were persecuting him. And so they exiled him to Patmos, which is an island full of criminals, right? So John, the author, has been through great tribulation. He has been through his, you know, many attempts on his life. And then again, all his buddies who were friends with Jesus and disciples and apostles of Jesus, they've all been murdered for their faith. And so if you're John the author, what would you be saying about great tribulation? And then what if you were reading this and you lived in an area, you know, in Northern Africa or in, you know, some of the places in Asia that martyr Christians, that kill Christians regularly, how would you read this? And so tribulation is, that word is, is used 20 times in scripture. 17 of those are in the New Testament. So that makes obviously three in the Old Testament. Of the 17 New Testament uses, um, about a third are in the Gospels, about a third are in the letters, and about a third are in the book of Revelation. And so Revelation does deal with this topic quite a bit. Uh, Revelation 2 says, Behold, I will throw her, meaning the church that he's writing to, onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, uh, and I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And so it's talking about believers that are engaged in moral idolatry and sexual sin and, and just all these things, uh, and it says, I will throw them, right, uh, into uh, great tribulation. And so this is talking about people, they may not be, uh, they're in the church, doesn't make them believers, right? But he's writing to a church at that point. And so the church is alive and well and talking about great tribulation unless they repent. So it sounds like there's options, like tribulation sometimes causes repentance, right? Um, the point would be that we'll experience tribulation. I mean, that's true of John's writing. He says, I, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance. Like he talks about tribulation. He talks about the kingdom, the, the now of the kingdom, even though the not yet is fully complete. Uh, and he talks about partnering with us and, and patient endurance. And so where is Jesus? Jesus is reigning. What are we doing? Enduring. We're enduring for a purpose that we might be a witness, Right. And we may indeed endure great tribulation. Jesus says this in the gospel, uh, Matthew, in 20, Matthew 24, he says, then, For then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So a great tribulation, he definitely makes it sound like there's one that's worse than others, right? But he goes on, he says, If those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short little theological note if you're unfamiliar, the elect means believers, the church, right? Those who have been chosen before time uh, at, to be saved by God, right? So the elect. 
And he goes on, he says, if, so uh, he says, for the sake of the elect, those days, the great tribulation will be cut short. He goes on, he said, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets, plural, both cases, will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, right? That's another conversation, but to try or attempt to mislead the church believers, right? And Jesus said, he closes that up, he says, see, I've told you beforehand. So great tribulation includes believers. Now, the premillennial belief is that this seven-year great tribulation will come. Many believe before that will be a rapture, some in the middle, some after, but most believe in a premillennial pre-tribulational rapture, and so that the rapture will take place and take the church out of the great tribulation. Well, all these verses talk about the church being in tribulation, great tribulation. And so for me, the church always endures tribulation. The author is enduring tribulation. Christians on the planet today are enduring tribulation, just not us here in Southern California. Our greatest struggle is to mask or not to mask in a pandemic, right? I mean, we're not really suffering. And so great tribulation seems to be a descriptor, not a specific the great, like a seven-year time. Got it. And you mentioned rapture, so we'll move ahead to that topic. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of people point to a verse in First Thessalonians, um, chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Um, but we're focusing on Revelation, so what right. does Revelation have to say about a, this idea of a rapture? Yeah, now, not a common belief, again, in any of the other positions, no one believes in a rapture, only in the pre-mill, the modern-day dispensational pre-mill belief has that today. Um, and it comes from that verse that you said, caught up together, the Latin word there, in the Latin Vulgate, when it was translated as raptus, right? You know, raptured, right? And so, um, meaning caught up with. Uh, but Revelation and Revelation, now, the question is, where do people that believe in a rapture see it take place in Revelation? And so where they would say is Revelation 4, verses 1 and 2. And so after Jesus reveals himself to John and opens this letter to seven churches, then it says this, Revelation 4, 1 and 2. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit. And that's the word right there. At once I was in the spirit. And they say, that's where the rapture happens. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now, John isn't raptured in this moment. John lives on. Okay. John lives on beyond writing this book. Uh, but they're saying that is in a timeline, that's where it happens, right? Um, but remember, we use the clear things in Scripture to help us understand the unclear. And that is, at best, unclear. If John writes about a rapture that he doesn't take place in, because John lived 1,900 years ago, so clearly he wasn't raptured, right? If he's writing about it, does he know that or whatever else? And so I'd say, what else does he write? Uh, Revelation 1 in the part where no one thinks there's a rapture, he uses exactly the same language. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, he says. So on a Sunday, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, and by the way, no one who has any eschatological position thinks Jesus' voice sounds like a trumpet, right? So it's obviously image-driven, just as a note for the whole book. But he uses this language of, I was in the Spirit, and, and so really, 
that language typically has always meant I'm having a spiritual experience. Like it's not just a physical thing. Like Jesus reveals himself to John. That's far beyond physical. And so the exact language I was in the spirit in Revelation 4, where people believe that to be a, a rapture, he uses in Revelation 1 in a place no one thinks is a rapture, like not as not zero Christians, right? And so I would say that's in Revelation not enough to say that there is a significant event called a rapture. All right, um, so let's let's move ahead then. We're you know trying to keep an eye on the clock on this, and, and we could talk about these things for hours, but oh, yeah. just uh, for the sake of time. Uh, moving ahead to the millennium, this idea, a literal thousand-year reign of Christ or not. Um, so I'm going to read Revelation 21 through 7 and encourage those of you listening, uh, feel free to count along. Ooh, I'm going to do that. How, oh, really? We're going to do this for real? Yes. All right. So count along. How many times John mentions a thousand years in this? Zero. So far. Okay, good. All right. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain, and he sees the dragon and the ancient, or the ancient, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. One. And threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years Two. were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who, would not, who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Three. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were Four. ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Five. And then the thousand years. Six. Are ended. Satan will be released from his prison. We have six. That we was fun. Six. I enjoyed that. I brushed up on my counting. <laughs> I feel, remember the count on Sesame Street? I do. One, one apple. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I, I felt a little bit like that. Hey, so if we never had a Bible that had the last three chapters. Uh, uh, here's what I mean. If we had a Bible and it was missing like the last three pages, right? We had Genesis 1-1 all the way through Revelation 19, all the way to the end of chapter 19. And somehow we'd, last, we'd lost the last couple pages of our Bible and we didn't have Revelation 20, 21, 22. That's what we missed, just three chapters of Revelation. But we read the whole thing and we studied it. Here's what we'd have. We would know about heaven and hell, we would know about an eternal reign of Jesus. We would know about trials and tribulation. We would know about all the things that we normally consider in conversations about end times, eschatology, final things, eternity, etc. We would know that Jesus had lived and died and rose again and was going to right everything that is wrong. What we would not know about is a millennium. And I want to give that as a caution. Again, nothing that we've talked about uh, the rapture, you know, we talked about First Thessalonians 4, or great tribulation or tribulations all throughout Old Testament, New Testament. Millennium only shows up in one chapter where it is so heavily image-driven that my caution is no one would ever think of a millennium 
if you read the entire Bible and just hadn't read the last couple pages, right? And so it's really hard to build a theology off of one chapter where one particular word is used six times in seven verses. Now, six times in seven verses means you have to wrestle with that word, right? I mean, you have to have an answer. But an entire theology, in fact, all end times theologies divide over this issue. We call each other pre-mill or post-mill or ah-mill, right? All built on the millennium. And so a caution is letting that drive the, the you know, all, <clears throat> excuse me, all of what you believe. And so um, I want to give you one conflict. The premillennial people who believe in a literal millennium have a struggle here, right? Because throughout this, they've not taken anything literal, or not everything literal, right? Uh, you know, the seven churches, they say, represent seven dispensations of church history, right? And so they use everything else as figurative, symbolic, right? When it says Jesus in chapter 1, Revelation 1, has a sword coming out of his mouth. They all say, listen, it's that his words are piercing, right? And they divide and they, they, you know, they cut right through to the point, you know, and they talk about, you know, his eyes or, I mean, his hair white like wool or something. They all know it has symbolism. And so for me, this millennium is symbolism, right? It's a long time. All mill folks believe it's the church era. We believe we're in that era now. Satan is bound or limited, right? He can't overturn the church. That's what Jesus tells Peter, that, that you know, hell will not prevail against the church, right? Until I return, man, I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen. We know that, you know, Satan is limited. Satan will be thrown into hell later, all these things. And so I would just say, man, don't let one chapter define everything for you about what you believe, especially when it's just seven verses that use this word in a book filled with symbolism, right? Now, in verse 11, everything picks up, kind of pivots, and says, And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. It gets us back to Jesus, right? And in the middle of that millennium, we told about Jesus. I saw thrones and him who sits on the throne and, you know, reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I think that was like the fourth time or whatever, right? And so, again, it focuses on Jesus. And so I would say, whether it's literal or, or symbolic, man, the emphasis is not a time to come but the reign of Christ on the throne in the midst of it. So we will wrap it up there. Um, and I would, just, I would just close with this. Um, whether you believe in a, in a rapture or not, whether you believe in a, a literal millennium or not, uh, a separate great tribulation or not, um, if you are in Christ, mm -hmm. there is hope in that. There is comfort in that. Um, we all believe that he wins at the end, and because he wins... We are victorious as well. Yeah, I want to give one caution. The one thing I've typically pushed back against is a rapture, and, there, and there's a reason. Uh, if you believe that when things get really tough, Jesus is going to come and rapture the church, again, that's a hard sell for people that are being persecuted, even the author who wrote that. But what you end up doing or what you end up struggling with is when times get really tough, and I saw this during COVID, times got really tough on people they see themselves in that struggle. And when, it, when we believe that when it gets really tough, Jesus is going to steal us away, then we have a hard time dealing with struggles, right? If we believe that, we're going to suffer, we're going to struggle, but we're here for a purpose, that in our struggles, we get to be a light to the world. We have a very different viewpoint of suffering or struggles or tribulation or whatever. And so just a caution, 
whether the rapture is right or wrong, I don't need to be right. If I'm wrong, I'm still in the rapture. And if people that believe in the rapture are wrong, they're still with me. It's all good, right? Jesus wins in the end, like you said. Uh, but don't miss that we will suffer and that we are called to be a light to the world in the midst of trials. Excellent point. So we'll wrap it up there. We want to thank you for listening. Um, again, wherever you get your podcast from, we hope you will share us, you will like us, you will comment and subscribe. If you have questions over what we've already talked about or questions for future episodes, you can email us at questions at generations.email. May God bless you this week. information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.